You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. Well, I can't think of anything else that we should do during this service other than to get to the Word. Anybody else? Is there... Some of y'all, you should see the look on your faces right now. So here's the deal. We're going to do the name release here in the next minute, but I want to lay out some responsibilities that you have because your first service, all right, that means that you get to hear the new name of our church first, which means that the second service is hearing it secondhand, all right? That means that you've got to keep it a secret, all right? You get to bear the burden that I have felt. And some of you are like, you haven't felt a burden. I've seen the announcement videos. Listen, it has been hard to keep this thing under wraps. So I'm going to ask you, do not text family members or friends. I assume that our second service is going to be fuller than first, just seeing the layout and the meeting that we have today. So please help me with that. Help me keep it a secret for the second service, all right? Everybody agree? I don't believe you. (laughs) All right, let's try that again. Everybody agree we're going to keep it a secret from second service, right? All right, so would you do this with me? We're going to go ahead and we're going to do it countdown style. And I'm going to ask, even if you don't like the new name, that you celebrate it, all right? So here, would you do this with me? Would you stand to your feet? Attention to the screens. And again, I just want to reiterate for the next 30 minutes real quick, as you're standing here, We're just going to prolong this a little bit more. We've recognized that God has led us as a church into a new and incredible season. And so with this new season, we recognize that God gives new titles. Isn't he amazing, church? He will take your name and give you a new identity attached to a new name. And we've recognized that he has done that. And so this name is not only a recognition of the season that we're coming from and we find ourselves in, but also the season that we look forward. So without further ado, would you count down with me, church? Digital media department, would you go ahead and play the countdown? Nine. Come on, church, would you celebrate what God has done with us? Stole it from the kids' ministry, fair and square. You may be seated. We recognize that God is the Lord of the harvest. And he has proven that to be true over these past couple years. We also recognize our rural context as a church, and we wanted something that fit that rural context. We also wanted something that was deeply rooted in a biblical scripture, which we're going to be getting to momentarily. And we also wanted some sort of prophetic word that helped us form and shape the future of our church and the direction that we're moving in. Church, we're moving to reach Lehigh Valley and all the surrounding counties. Come on, somebody. We're moving to reach people for Jesus. Amen? Amen. You can go ahead and bring the fun song down. 
Four years ago, I remember what this sanctuary looked like. Allow me to paint you a picture. First off, it was kind of ugly. Can we agree on that, church? It was a little, a little ugly. We gathered here, and the room did not look like this, but we also recognized that, I mean, it was like a family every two to three rows, just kind of scattered throughout. And during the summertime, you, you knew people were on vacation because then it was like every three to four rows. And I remember, you know, as the weeks went by, I remember uh, uh, somebody coming up to me and saying, Pastor, do you think that we'll grow? And smiled, and I remember uh, uh, Scott Miller, he looked at me and he said, I think it would be nice if we could get a couple more new families. And I just laughed at that because God delivered and then some. And I remember him saying, it'd be nice if we could get just a few more families, you know, to fill in the rows and so on and so forth. And, and then COVID was the harvest that no one saw coming. And in a time when we should have been closed by all means, we were closed for the first three to four weeks and then said, we can't do this anymore. And during that time, we, we just felt like the church needed to be open. And I remember us opening our doors and it was, it was for weeks into months and turned into years, just family after family and the testimonies of, of fathers who came and said, I grew up in church, but I have left my relationship with Jesus back in my teen years. And I've come to realize that through COVID that my life, the foundation of my life is nothing. And it was incredible to see dads come to know Jesus, still to this day this is happening, and saying, I have no idea how to be a father, but I know that this says something about that. Amen. And it was incredible and still is incredible to see testimony after testimony. And, and a humble, unsung hero of our church is, it goes by the name of Wayne Kleisler. Wayne is one of those heroes that you don't see him doing the work, but you see the fruit of his work. For example, Wayne is here every Sunday at 6.50, and he's the one who opens up the church and walks around and puts out the signage and gets you know, the air set, gets things ready for the kids' ministry downstairs, and nobody ever asked him to do this. Nobody ever required him to do this. He's just always done this and then some. Anytime that there was a building repair or something that needed taken care of in the early years, it was Wayne. And Wayne, just a couple days ago, we were sitting around the table having lunch, and he said this statement, and we just began to smile. He said, who would have ever thought that we had been in this position of growth where we are having a hard time fitting everyone into the ministry events and programs and services of our church? And I just sat back, and it, it, again, it's just amazing what God has done, and we look forward. We recognize that he's not done yet, church. Come on, somebody. He's just warming up. And so I remember like, like we're having this conversation and, and we start reflecting on the fact that like for those of you who aren't here on a Wednesday night, you've got to get here. You just got to see it. It's incredible. One of the things that I've enjoyed is, is Lee, our digital media director, has been able to handle some of the, the uh, Bible study responsibilities. So I was able to walk around the church and see what's happening. And I got to be honest, I love it, especially when I walk outside and the World Rangers are having a game of sharks and minnows and I get to hop in with them. <laughs> and I'm walking around and the reason why the kids were outside is because they couldn't fit inside. 
and I start walking down the stairwell and we have a classroom meeting on the stairwell. And I'm walking down the hallway and it's basically wherever you can fit a table, there's going to be kids there. And I'm looking in every room that we possibly can fit kids in. They're, 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 they're try, we're trying to make them fit, but they're sitting there and I'm hearing scripture memorization from four, five, and six-year-olds. And I'm asking my girls what they learned. And that is a roll of the dice question. <laughs> On the ride home, I'm going, what did you girls learn? And they're telling me in detail biblical stories. And then they're telling me how it applies to their life. And you walk around every part of this building and you see God moving. And on Sundays, it's kind of a similar situation where Sundays when you go down to the classrooms, I'm, I'm shocked that we haven't gotten to the point to where the rooms are so full that kids are pressed up against the glass window when you walk by. I ask my wife, who's our kids ministry director after a Sunday morning, how many kids did you have today? And in a classroom that should fit 10 to 15 tops, she'll tell me 32. How many were in the nursery? And she'll tell me how the nursery, y'all are having a lot of kids. And I just got reports this morning, it's not known yet, but there's some more babies coming. And no, it's not Kylie. We just, get behind me, Satan. It's just amazing to sit back and see. We recognize that a harvest is taking place. The name Harvest Church, of course, as we've already mentioned, it's biblical, and it recognizes, more importantly, a biblical mission. Harvest Church, it's a short name. We debated on adding some other words, but the reality is, is no matter what words you add to this title, you would have summarized it, right? How many of you know our, our brothers and sisters in Christ right down the road, Hope Community Church? Nobody says that. What do you call it? Hope Church. Hope Church. There's a, a popular Assemblies of God Church over in Harrisburg, Christian Life Assembly. Do you know what everybody calls it? CLA. So we figured we would save the work and say, let's go with something biblical and that is easily recognizable and memorable. The name complements the theme of ministry here at the church, Rooted Youth Ministry. Again, Harvest Kids Ministry. We want them to be attached to our main uh, title, Bloom Women's Ministry, and so on and so forth. Harvest Church recognizes what God has done, but more importantly, it is tied to our mission that Christ has called us to. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38? That's where we're going to be spending a majority of our time together here this morning. Again, that's Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. We're called to work the harvest field, church. And in, in church, I can't say this enough, God is just getting started. We enjoy looking at the past memories and celebrating what God has done. But let's make sure that our dreams are always bigger than our past experiences. If there ever comes a point in time in our relationship with Christ where we have better memories in our past than we do expectation of our future, that's called backslidden. We look forward to what God is going to continue to do. Would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning? Matthew chapter 9 verses 35 through 38. 
We'll read it together, but you don't have to read it out loud. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. It's amazing how healings went in line almost all the time in scripture with God's word. As a matter of fact, let me hit the pause button. I know of one evangelist who a part of his ministry, it's just the way that God works sometimes through people. I don't know why, but some people, they, they, God just moves in the gift of healing. And when people have asked him, what, what's your secret sauce recipe? What, how do you heal? He just smiles and says, it's what God does when I read his word. It's powerful. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that this word would take root. It does indeed move in power, and that is our expectation this morning. Lord, I pray that as your word moves in power, that it would move us, that we would have that same heartbeat as the worship song that we just sang. Here I am, Lord, send me into your harvest. We ask in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. You can be seated. Jesus is seen here doing ministry, moving in and out of villages, teaching and healing. And again, it's always interesting that healing and the word of God go hand in hand. And he sees a large crowd and he takes compassion on them. And then he tells his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And of course, Jesus is using an agricultural illustration here to teach us the fact that people are the harvest and many are ready to receive Christ. Think about what scripture says, though, as far as Jesus' observation. He's, he's walking around and he's doing ministry and healings are taking place. He's proclaiming the word of God, the kingdom of God, and he's going through this and he sees this kind of upsetting scene, or at least it would be upsetting to us. It would be like going to a rough area in an inner city where you do different ministry to, to those who are addicted and just kind of laid out on the streets. That's kind of the picture that we get as there are crowds by the masses who are helpless. They're needy. And Jesus looks at this devastating scene and he says, my goodness, that they're like sheep without a shepherd. And what he's teaching us in that analogy is he's, he's teaching us the fact that these people are wandering around aimlessly in life trying to figure out life on their own does that not sound like a modern day america and he's walking around and he's saying all of these people they're just wandering they have no guidance and he looks and he sees people harassed and helpless wandering broken vulnerable uh, uh confused and he he looks at this scene and Jesus says, good, they're ready. The harvest is here. Jesus saw a harvest when others only saw brokenness. Jesus, Jesus looks around at humanity, sees humanity confused, wandering, broken, living in sin. And Jesus says, perfect, they're ready for a move of God. Church, a biblical harvest looks different than the way that we look at it. 
We tend to think of a harvest as in everyone is walking around and they're wholesome and they have everything together that they need in life. And as a matter of fact, they're walking around holding up signs that say, would you please preach to me? That's kind of our vision of harvest. As we think in terms of, of America, we, we look at America and, and say that there's no way that a harvest could be near. It's too broken. Did you know that brokenness is the prerequisite for revival? We're not living in a post-Christian era in American, America. We're living in a pre-revival era in America. And it's time to start seeing things the way that God sees them. Man, you start seeing with the eyes of Christ and your life will change. He doesn't view harvest, the prerequisites, the conditions for a harvest. He doesn't view it the same way as you and I. For some who are gathered here today, you might be sitting in this place and you're saying, I don't see a harvest, pastor. Did you notice that to see the potential for a harvest, you have to be doing the work? Jesus is walking around. He's doing ministry. He's with broken people. It's hard to see broken people when you're not spending time with broken people. And the reality is that for a harvest to happen, there has to be work done. So I think the question is, is friend, are you doing the work for a harvest? Because it's when you start being obedient to the work, that's when you start recognizing the needs of others. Is there anybody here today who wants to pray something dangerous? I triple dog dare you to pray. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. It'll wreck you. I dare you to pray, Jesus, give me your eyes. When we pray those things, we stop seeing people as problems and start seeing their eternal value. Which leads us to the next point out of Matthew chapter 9. Following Jesus' example, that's what we're doing here today. Focus on the need, not the problems. We see this exemplified in verse 38. Jesus recognizes the problem. Yes, he sees them. To focus on a need, it doesn't dismiss the fact that there's a problem. Is this making sense this morning? Sometimes we view walking by faith as in kind of like just keep your eyes closed and don't see it. And that's walking by faith. Walking by faith is not denying that the mountain exists. Walking by faith is recognizing the mountain, but also understanding that God is bigger than the mountain. And so it is with meeting the needs of people. We can't stop at problems. Recognize the problems. How many of you know we've all got a lot of problems? Can I get a witness here this morning? If you have a problem, would you just shout at me a little bit? There it is. Or I'll have your spouse do it for you. We typically let problems impact our life to such a degree that we will bring them, we will bring them to God, and that is all we will bring to God is a list of problems. We won't ask him to, Lord, would you help me to see through these problems to see what you see? We don't ask him, Lord, help me to recognize that these problems are symptomatic of something deeper, a need. We usually just bring our problems to God and wipe our hands and say, good, he'll take care of it. The main issue in our world today is that our world needs Jesus. 
And we often forget that we preach a message that changes lives. And I wonder if we, we neglect that message because we don't believe it ourselves. The gospel message, church, it changes people. It changed me. It'll change you. It's His eternal Word. When God speaks words, I'm telling you, they impact your heart and your mind and they change you all the way down to your being, the essence of who you are. I think of our missionary friends who were here not but a couple weeks ago who were sharing this story. They're missionaries in Turkey and they talk about how, you know, Turkey, the primary religion in Turkey is Islam. I want to say it's upwards of like 95%. Christianity is less than like 3%, something like that. I want to say it's even less than 1%, but don't quote me on that. The point is, is they are most certainly the minority. And they talk about the fact that they have a Bible study at their house. First off, wow. Inviting strangers that they meet at cafes. Wow. And then these individuals gather around their table and she talks about the first time that an Islamist came to her and said, Jenny, 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 you don't understand. I read something in the book that you gave me and I felt something in my heart. And to someone who has been in the bondage of false religion, they understood something. They understood that the gospel, that God's word, it changes you. That it's alive, which is why you feel something inside of you when you read it. You don't feel this kind of, these kind of things when you read a history book. And they came to her and said, Jenny, Jenny, you don't understand. I felt something in my heart that I've never felt before. Hope. In church, I think that we forget that you carry hope. You carry the potential of changing America in you. You carry that with you. And these individuals, they, they, they're lost and they're coming to Jenny and they're, they're talking to these missionaries and they're saying, you don't understand, I've never felt hope because with Islam, there is no pathway for hope. There is in any other religion, that is why Christianity is exclusive, because it's the only right one, and I'm not ashamed to say that. Amen. All other religions are false because they offer you nothing. They say terms, terms like, well, you might have peace. Then you turn to Christianity, and peace has a name. Amen. And his name is Jesus. And he says, whatever you need in this life to mend that brokenness, it's only going to happen through me. You carry with you a message of change. It reminds me of the gospel story of an individual named Cleopas, and we don't even know his companion who's traveling along a road with him. And it's after Jesus' resurrection, and Jesus is walking down the road, and he goes up, and this is where I believe Jesus has a sense of humor. Because he walks up along Cleopas and his no-name friend. By the way, if you name your child or daughter Cleopas, you hate them. <laughs> Horrible name. Anyways. <laughs> and so he, he walks up along these men and he hears their discussion talking about some man named Jesus. And this is where I just, I can't wait to meet Jesus because I believe that he has a sense of humor. Because he walks up, these men and, up to these men and he goes, hey. Who are you talking about? 
And this was before the day and age of mainstream media and Facebook and Instagram. So nobody knew what Jesus looked like. And so he had that kind of working in his favor and he walks up alongside of them and they have this conversation. Now, I'm going to preach on this someday, but I just want to touch on it today. They, they go back to the house and, and Christ is revealed to them. They, they finally get it. It clicks that the one that they're talking about, the miracle of the cross and the resurrection is, is sitting next to them. And then it says that Jesus, he vanishes. He just disappears and, and Cleopas looks at his no-name friend and he says, was our hearts not burning? Truly, this was the risen Savior. Church, that same cause and effect is possible in 2023. Where God stirs up something in someone's heart and they can't help but turn and say with tears in their eyes, surely my heart is on fire. This has got to be real. And you, you, carry that how cruel to keep it a secret focus on the need not the problems it doesn't take talent to recognize problems it doesn't take leadership to recognize a problem but it does take giftedness and a heart of compassion to pursue biblical solutions. Our world needs that same powerful moment of our heart sensing hope and change for the first time. What moved Jesus during this time of ministry? Scripture says that we see in verse 36, it says that he had compassion for people, that compassion moved him. If you and I are going to be effective in reaching others, you see, I, I hope that the Lord has inspired something in your heart that, that you have this message that can change people's lives and tra trajectory of their lives and their family lineage, that you have that. And I hope that that motivates us to obedience. But then it's kind of like, well, well, pastor, like, how do I go about that? Well, well your friend, you're going to need a heart of compassion. If you and I are going to be effective in ministry, it's only going to be done through a heart of compassion. Can I, can I share a secret with you today that you might already be aware of? Did you know that people are frustrating? Revelation is happening right now. If you weren't aware of that, then friend, you might be that frustrating person. People are frustrating, aren't they? It takes a lot to love broken people. We're not denying that. It takes the fruit of the Spirit. It takes, you know, the Lord said, this is going to be so difficult for you guys to go reach and love people that I'm just going to send the Holy Spirit to help you in the process. Amen. Nobody here is denying the challenge. That is why it is necessary that you and I are motivated and moved by a Christ-like heart of compassion. And the reality is this, how, how do we attain a heart of compassion, Pastor? Because it's not like we can just bag it up and serve it to you. I wish we could. A heart of compassion is the result of a God-focused life. Again, Jesus is focused on the work of the Lord. It's not a coincidence that he's focused on the work of the Lord and operates with a heart of compassion. 
A heart of compassion is the result of a God-focused life. Here's the reality, church, and I'll give you a bonus statement for your notes. Focus determines direction. Focus determines direction. What you focus on, you will gravitate to. I've been snowboarding since I was 10, 11 years old. I grew up in a, in a great part of Pennsylvania where surrounding my, my home. Is anybody else hot in here? Is it? Yeah, well, we'll take care of that. Sorry, I, I just... Squirrel! Anyways. I grew up in an area where we had all these ski resorts around us, and, and I was brought up to be homeschooled, which meant that my gym class was the ski resort. It's pretty cool. And so if I got up early and did all my homework by 12 o'clock, I could be at the ski lift by one. And I, I remember that just throughout my, my, my junior high and the teen years, it, it was the common thing was for me on a weekend to be at the ski resort with a, a group of friends, and, and we spent the weekend at a ski resort pretty much. And so I, I love snowboarding, just again, have done it for a, a majority of my life, just, just love the sport, love what, it, what it's about. I've always been attracted to extreme sports over team sports, unless it's hockey, and that's because it's aggressive. And so I, I remember, though, one of, one of the things that I enjoy doing is I enjoy teaching others how to snowboard. And one of the tricks that we would teach people in, in learning how to stop, which is very important, was we would get them to their feet, and while they were in motion, we would have them look at this light pole at the top of the bunny slope. We would say, turn your head slowly until you focus on that light pole. And the reality is, is this was such an easy way to teach someone how to stop, because as they slowly turned their head, their whole body moved. And soon you would hear the edge of their snowboard skimming into the ground as they figured out how to stop. Why? Because their focus determined their direction. Once their eyes moved, everything else kind of aligned with where their focus was. And so it is in our life that what we focus on, the motion of our life, will follow suit. Focus will determine direction. And that is why a heart of compassion, it's the result of a God-focused life. Focus on God and the motion of your life will follow. And the fruits of this will be a heart of compassion. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 36, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news in the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had... Compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus' focus was on doing the work of God. He ministers to others and teaching and proclaiming and, and the good news. And it says that he saw crowds and he was moved towards compassion. Do you find yourself lacking compassion? I find myself lacking compassion on some days in 2023. Anybody else? Do you find yourself lacking compassion for others, hating the world, irritated with people, struggling to speak anything uplifting? If that's you, then the question that we have to ask ourselves is this, where has our focus been? When all we see is the problem, we forget the author of solutions. 
as you and I focus on the things of God, doing, which are doing the work of the Lord, reading His Word. I feel like I could say that point in every single sermon. Seeking His plans. Seeking and desiring the voice of the Holy Spirit. As you focus on these things, you will find yourself growing closer to Him. And when you grow closer to Him, He shares His heart with you. That compassion is an integral part of reaching a harvest. If you don't have compassion, friend, you're not going to reap a harvest. And an incredibly beautiful point made by Jesus in more of a subtle manner, though, is Jesus didn't say, pray for the harvest. Never said that. He said to pray for the workers. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 through 38, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest. For what? Therefore to send out workers into his harvest fields. This is a big deal because Jesus isn't leaving any room for debate on whether there's a harvest or not. Jesus didn't say pray about whether people are ready or not. Jesus said, there's a harvest right in front of you. And what we need to do for this harvest is we need to pray for workers. Workers as in Christians that will go and do the same ministry work of Jesus. Here's the reality of how God often moves. Before God takes action, he usually inspires his people to pray. He does this for a variety of reasons, and we could get into some deep theology today, but we're going to stick with the fundamental basics. One of the reasons that God does this is because God chooses to accomplish his plans through the faithful prayers of his people. God chooses to accomplish his plans through the faithful prayers of his people. It's kind of that beautiful moment where you pray for something in such a manner that you know coincidence didn't accomplish it where you pray in such a way and God wants you to pray in a way that will reveal that it was him. You pray big prayers and God just stands back and says, yep, you know what I know that that couldn't have been done unless I intervened. And it gives us an opportunity to see his faithfulness and grow in our faithfulness to him. There are some things that God is waiting to accomplish and he's simply waiting for his children to pray in accordance to his will. Israel failed to co-labor with the Lord, and they missed out on a lot of promises, not because God wasn't faithful, but because they failed at taking him at his word. And look at what happens next after the disciples pray. Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 disciples. First, Simon, who is called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, uh, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Poor Matthew. They always have to add that in there, don't they? He was a tax collector. Just in case you were wondering what his testimony is, he was a dirty scoundrel. That's kind of what they're saying there. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the Iscariot, who betrayed him. And we're just not even going to comment on that. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. I want to hit the pause button. 
This is how I know that Jesus has humor. Because he stops and he looks to his companions, he looks to the disciples and he says, look at all these needs. I want you to pray that there'll be people who go out and meet these needs with my empowerment. Why don't you go ahead and pray? And then you can just imagine the disciples gathering around and having like a really cute prayer session. Really good. And after they're done, Jesus looking at them and said, great, now go. Go. And it reminds me of a story that I heard from a pastor who had flags of the various nations all around their sanctuary. And a lot of the flags they had, people from their congregation who were missionaries there, where they supported missionaries who went to those countries. And then they had unreached flags, meaning they didn't have any Christian representation, let alone any representation from there. And one day he decided to pull a Jesus and he on frequently he would tell them to look up to the flags and pray, but he decided to pull a Jesus and he said, I want you to pray and ask the Lord, who will you send to the nations? And when people looked up on this particular Sunday above each flag of the unreached, he had a mirror. He said, would you pray? Who, who does God want to send to these nations? And as the congregation looked up, they saw a mirror. Church, God is sending us. He's sending you and I. Christianity was designed to live dangerously. If you and I aren't reaching people on our own outside of Sunday morning leading others to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm going to say something strong, but I believe it's the heartbeat of God. We need to repent. We need to repent. And we need to start walking in obedience. If you're watching the news and seeing everything that is happening in Israel and you're saying this is the end time, then I believe your life should display that belief by you doing the work of the Lord. And not sitting back in your recliner and saying, okay, any minute he'll be here. The other six billion people can go to hell. There are billions of people who haven't heard the name of Jesus. Before his return, I'm looking for and praying for a harvest. Because there are billions of people who haven't heard yet. My hope and my prayer is that God will cause such a stirring in these last days that there will be people who get discontent sitting in the sanctuary and say, I've got to get on the missions field. Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And that's a challenge to us, but the same challenge of the disciples, him looking to them and saying, good, go. He's already given us that challenge in Matthew 28, 19. Church, what we're taught at the end of Matthew chapter 9 and into Matthew chapter 10 is this. If I consider myself a disciple of Christ, I must enter the field as a harvest worker. It's a non-negotiable. If you and I consider ourselves Christians, 
then Scripture assumes that we're willing to work the harvest. Scripture teaches us that you and I, you see, he's teaching us, Jesus is teaching us a model of what is yet to come. In Matthew chapter 9, he's giving us a model of what's going to happen in Matthew chapter 28 and in Acts chapter 2. He's looking at his disciples, and it says that he gives them authority, meaning they're walking in Holy Spirit empowerment. And this was basically the greatest prophetic word that you could get in this moment because Jesus knew that there was coming a day where he would still be pouring his spirit out into others and he would still be sending them and he's getting the church in the habit of getting into motion, staying on focus, staying on mission and going into the harvest, not denying a harvest, not debating on whether there's a harvest, but moving towards the need. He gives us this model, and it's exemplified as the disciples go out and do ministry. And that is how you and I, that's how we're supposed to live out our Christian faith. It is assumed that if you and I are disciples, that we are indeed harvest workers. Worship team, would you come? Harvest looks different than what we expect it to look like. Revival often happens in the most depressing, heartbreaking times. We're getting there. Heard a story of a pastor out of New York. I've had the privilege of coming to know some of his family members, Pastor Jim Simbola of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And Pastor Jim, he, he shared this story one Sunday and it just stuck with me. tells a story of how he went to sleep one night and he, he just felt this stirring in his spirit. He was just awake. And he's talking about how like he, he's seeing every hour on the clock. Have, have, have you ever had one of those nights where you're like, man, it's got to be, be like 7 a.m., 6 a.m., time to wake up. And you look and you're like, it's 12. And so he's having one of these nights and He's looking at the clock and it's 12 o'clock and one in the morning and two in the morning. And finally, around 3 a.m., he says, you know what? I think God is trying to tell me something. And so he, he gets up, he goes downstairs, he starts pacing and he's praying, God, what, what, what do you want to speak to me, Lord? Here I am, kind of a Samuel moment, right? And he's, he's walking around and he's going, God, what, what, whatever you want to speak to me, I, I'm here to listen. And finally, he felt like the Lord said, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 5, he who gathers crops in the summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. And he's having, he's like, okay, God, I, what, what do you want me to learn from this? And he felt like the Lord said and spoke to his heart and said, it's harvest time, son. He who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. And he kept feeling this prompting. It's harvest time. It's harvest time. So after much prayer and trying to figure out, like, Lord, what, what does a harvest time look like? He, he finally felt released to go to sleep. And so he goes to sleep. And a couple hours later, around 8.30, 9 a.m., he gets a phone call from his daughter. He says, Dad, did you see what happened? And he said, no. And she said, turn on the news. And 
he saw planes hit the Twin Towers in New York. This was 9-11. And he kept hearing the Lord say, it's harvest time. God, this doesn't look like harvest. But if you study statistics, you know what happened in America. I would never wish another 9-11. But I would a 9-12. Because the day after 9-11, we were a changed nation looking to find our hope in God once again. And for the next year, churches would be packed. Prayer gatherings would be overflowing. The testimonies that came out of that time period of people who otherwise would not have come to know the Lord. But church, it didn't look like a harvest from the outside. And I just feel in my spirit this morning a prophetic word to say the next harvest isn't going to be what you expect either. It's going to look different. But I'm here to tell you, church, that it's harvest time. Now, now is the time. God's getting ready to shake. There's been shakings these past couple years. We felt little tremors. God's getting ready to really shake. And I hope and pray that you and I are ready, prepared in season and out of season, right? But the season right now, as the word of the Lord would say, it's harvest time. Church, my final point with you here this morning based off of scripture is simply this. The harvest is now. The harvest is now. Would you stand with me? We're going to close out this morning's service by singing this song. Here I am, Lord, send me. And the question may be, well, where are we getting sent to? The harvest. Where is the harvest? Wherever he's sending you to. Your work, your home, your neighbors that you don't even like. He's sending you to them too. Don't forget it. The people that you encounter at the gym, at the grocery store, on your walks, when you go on hiking, you know, hiking uh, uh, trails around the Lehigh Valley area. I love all the hiking trails in this area. So I love living on this part of Pennsylvania as opposed to where I grew up on the, uh, over near Pittsburgh. I just love, I don't know if you've been able to tell, I love the outdoors a little bit. They're your harvest. Those people that you encounter in the day-to-day. In church, I pray that we would close out today's service with just as much zeal as we began. So would you do this with me? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And if you're here this morning and you're saying you're willing to be a little bit vulnerable and you're saying to yourself, Pastor, I'm ready for a harvest, but there are some conversations that I am intimidated to have. If that's you, would you just begin to lift up your hands representing surrender for the Lord to work in and through those conversations? If you're here today and you're like, Pastor, I know what I'm called to do, but I'm a little intimidated. This is kind of a big thing. If that's you, would you just begin to lift up your hands? If there are people in your life that you're like, I am going to need God's help in reaching, that he's going to have to do something. It's going to be one of those prayers that I pray that prove 
only God could do something like that. If you're standing up against people or situations like that, would you also just begin to raise your hands? And in your own words, can we take scripture and put it into action? Would you begin to pray to the Lord of the harvest with the understanding that church, here's the reality. As you pray for God to reach some of these people, he's going to speak to you and say, yeah, I'm going to reach them because I'm sending you. You're the worker. You're the one that's called to go and love them. You're the one that's called to step into impossible situations with the God who makes impossible a reality. You're the one. And as we sing out this song, may we sing it as a reflection of our heart. Not dismissing the crowds of people in our nation right now who are broken, desperate, wandering like sheep without a shepherd, but embracing that as a reality and saying, you know what, I recognize the need and I know the solution and his name is Jesus. May we sing this song as a reflection of our hearts saying, here I am, Lord. Send me, send me as in I'm, I'm willing to go into uncomfortable places. I'm willing to have uncomfortable conversations. I'm willing to go and, uh, and, uh, and, and connect with people who are otherwise difficult to connect with. That's what we're saying this morning, church. Are you ready to live out a risky faith? Because I'm telling you, as Christians, we were called to take risks. Would you sing this song with me this morning as our closing? And may this be our banner, Harvest church. If it's bandaging the broken or washing filthy feet here I am Lord send me if it's loving one another even when we don't agree here I am Lord send me if I'm poor if I'm wealthy I'll serve you just the same here I am
Father, we recognize that it's not a matter of if you're sending us, it's where. I think we've already identified that the harvest is all around us. So Lord, may we be willing to be those workers because we recognize you're sending. So Holy Spirit, would you prepare us for the work at hand? We know you will. Would you prepare us for the right words to speak? Would you prepare us to get our focus off the problems and help us focus on God in your will to lead us and direct our lives. Get our focus off the things that are temporal, that don't matter, and help us to always have an eternal mind and see the way that you do. And God, I pray again that as we are sent, that we would go with obedience. We ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said, in Harvest Church, if you believe God is getting ready to do something, would you give him a shout of praise this morning? Amen. Amen, amen. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.